Hi, and welcome to the Digital Health Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Sabolsky. This is a regular panel discussion held with the brightest minds in the healthcare industry. We host collaborative conversations from all physicians, patients, scientists, creatives, and executives devoting their efforts to putting the care back into healthcare. We cover it all from delivery pharmaceutical life science, digital health, mental health, retail health, and anything anyone's doing with an innovative intent in the market. Stay tuned for a special episode of the Digital Health Roundtable. All right. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, really pleased to be with you for uh, another installment of the Digital Healthcare Roundtable. Uh, we are two co-hosts who started a podcast a long time ago called the Voice of Healthcare Podcast, and now we've got live panels in the age of social audio. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Sabolsky. Let's go by Matt. And I'm here with my co-host, Reed McClellan. Uh, Dr. Reed McClellan. Um, and we are joined by two very special guests. And today we're going to be talking about diagnostics post-pandemic or just disruption in the diagnostic space in general. Uh, with me today uh, are Dr. Brad Youngren. He's the CMO of 98.6. And he is joined by Dr. Jay Wolgamuth, CMO of Quest Diagnostics. Before I get started, a reminder uh, that you can find archives of these talks on the Voice of Healthcare podcast on Apple, uh, and you can join us every other week or every month. Just follow my profile here on Twitter, and you'll see lots of great shows coming up, um, and we hope to have you back. Uh, before we get into the questions, and we've got lots of key questions about what does diagnostics mean in this age of, of possibility of technology and at-home use? Um, the market for that? What are people doing? What are these experts that are running these firms thinking as far as their future uh, public health and value is concerned? Before we do that, let's hear from Dr. Brad Youngren, CMO 98.6. Brad, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you're doing with 98.6 and how we ended up in this call together. Thanks, Matt. So my name is Brad Youngren. I'm the chief medical officer at 98.6. I have I'm an emergency physician by background, but have spent over the last decade focused on digital healthcare companies. Um, a lot of diagnostic companies in my early career after leaving the military, where one of the roles I had was technology procurement for the battlefield. And that transitioned my career. Um, and I've had sort of mixed career with clinical work in, in the emergency department and then uh, increasing work in the digital healthcare space. My previous work has been with uh, Mobisante. I was their chief medical officer. They were the first FDA-approved mobile phone device in, in the U.S., um, followed as chief medical officer at Q Health, which you may be familiar with. They have the at-home uh, uh, COVID test. And then I've been with 98.6 for about a little over five years now. Um, and 98.6 is a virtual primary care company. We use text as our primary source of communication, although we have phone and video. And then we really marry product engineering technology with the practice of medicine. And that's really the, the focus at 98.6 is delivering technology that not only impacts the patient experience, but also impacts the physician experience, giving them tools to deliver higher quality care uh, to the patients we serve. 
Fantastic. Well, well Brad, we're, we're really uh, honored to have you here with us today um, before we start talking about diagnostics and the future of it post-pandemic, what y'all are doing, what it matters with uh, current uh, affairs. Um, for now, we're going to move on to Dr. Jay Wolgamuth, CMO, Quest Diagnostic. Jay, tell us about you and what you're doing and um, how we ended up here. Hey, Matt. Um, thank you so much, and I'm, I'm glad to be on here. Um, I'm uh, Jay Wolgamuth. I'm the Chief Medical Officer at Quest Diagnostics, and um, I was uh, a car uh, trained in cardiology and was then a co-founder of um, XDX, which became CareDX, which was the first uh, molecular diagnostic for transplant rejection. And that sort of got me into the industry. And I realized, wow, there's a lot you can do to, you know, uh, improve healthcare and industry. And I went on to Genentech uh, Roche uh, for a couple of years, worked in pharma and on biomarkers. Um, and then I went to Quest Diagnostics as the head of R&D. And um, over time, I um, we built up our medical function. So I've got our medical group. But Importantly, I got into also running our employee health plan of 60,000 members and also then running our population health business where we provide uh, employers and health plans with services to engage large populations. And in that work, I've just really come to uh, want to see progress in healthcare in the U.S. And I think um, our current system is not very effective uh, and I believe um, there's there's a much better way to engage people with healthcare. So I'm really kind of passionate around this topic we have today. And I would say, you know, the last two years I've been working on COVID nonstop, right? Uh, COVID solutions for individuals, for doctors, for employers. And as we'll talk about through that, you know, there's just a whole new opportunity here, I think, to uh, make change, a positive change in healthcare. That sort of just you know landed on our doorstep in the last two years. Well, I, I don't think you could say it better than that. Landing on the doorstep is right. Um, I'm sure some philosophers would argue with me, but this pandemic feels like a true black swan event at the size and scale and acceleration of it. So we're glad to have both of you on. Uh, before we get into questions, really quick, my name is Matt Savolsky. I'm the host of the Voice of Healthcare podcast. I'm a behavioral scientist. I work in digital health with Strategic Alliance and creating tech stacks that benefit consumers, patients, and clinicians and enterprise. I'm joined with my co-host, Dr. Reed McClellan. Reed, introduce yourself briefly, and then we'll get on to the questions. Hey, Matt. Great to be here with you guys uh, today. Really excited about this panel. Uh, I'm uh, Dr. Reed McClellan. Uh, I run Cortina Health uh, at getcortina.com. We are a teledermatology-first focused uh, company where we can uh, provide all types of care, including personalized medicine that will be shipped directly to your door. Uh, and look forward to uh, serving as many patients as possible. Reed, glad to have you. Um, all right, let's get on to these questions. Let's have a talk. So the first question is broad, um, and both of you and uh, Brad and Jay and Reed and I talked about this before the show, um, some insightful comments coming. So prepare yourselves, audience. Um, first question, and I'm going to direct this at uh, Brad, and then we'll follow up with Jay. Um, how will digital health and virtual care improve healthcare in the United States in general? I think there's... As Jay kind of alluded to, there's such an opportunity to leverage technology in healthcare. Um, a lot of the things that impacted our lives in other ways that we have grown just to expect on-demand, uh, you know, delivery of goods within 24 hours. You can name it um, on-demand streaming services. These kinds of um, 
technologies have not really been historically brought to bear in the healthcare space for a variety of reasons that we could talk about. But the most important thing is over the last 10 years, I've observed um, slow but gradual changes in the adoption of both you know, um, hardware device as well as software device, digital health technology to assist or replace traditional healthcare delivery systems. And that has really picked up obviously in the last two to three years. Actually, there was quite a bit of growth predating the pandemic um, by a year or two, but certainly with the, the COVID-19 pandemic, there's been quite an acceleration uh, and appreciation by the patient um, as to what are the services they could uh, utilize in the virtual healthcare space. I think it's really brought it down to the core question, which is how can we deliver the highest quality care at the lowest cost uh, on demand for patients when they want to consume healthcare? If you think about over 80% of patients begin their journey on a search engine, obviously the reason they do that is it's free and they can do it immediately. And that doesn't mean it's necessarily the best place for them to engage in healthcare. It's not the most reliable information. It's not a physician or healthcare provider they're talking to, but it does sort of point out the fact that patients are going to seek the most immediate opportunity they can to engage in healthcare on their terms. So I think we're finally seeing um, healthcare and in particular digital healthcare companies strive to find a way to meet patients where they're at. And once we start to do that, then we could get creative and understand what are the best ways to engage with them in their healthcare and then improve uh, the quality of the technology that can deliver that care in an effort to really not provide transactional acute care medicine needs of patients, but drive them towards wellness, not wellness in the traditional sense that we've seen in the industry in the last decade, but actually healthiness, wellness, improving lifespan and health span individuals. That's ultimately what we strive to do as physicians and as healthcare providers. Excellent. Jay. Well, Brad just, just said it all perfectly there. I, I, uh, I, I look at it that before the pandemic, the healthcare system in the U S um, had come to a place where it's highly physician and health uh, system centric. And it was developed around physicians and health systems and not around consumers. And so prior to the pandemic, if you kind of look across um, guideline supported care and preventative care, and by the way, we know these things work. We know how to treat um, high cholesterol and we know how to do, you know, um, screen for colon cancer and prevent, you know, a bad outcome there and on and on and on. But engagement with that, with the general population in the U.S. is very poor prior to the pandemic and got even worse, you know, during the pandemic. And and my belief is it's not like it's not um, a nice thing to do to bring healthcare to the consumer. It's required if we're actually going to get large populations uh, engaged with their preventative care. And there are many, many people who are fully unengaged with healthcare, and there are many people who have a doc but don't see them and don't uh, practice preventative care because I have to schedule an appointment. I have to go in. I'll get my labs. I'm going to see them for five minutes. Um, it's very hard to navigate and engage in that environment. And so, you know, we'll get into the pandemic and how it accelerated this, but it is totally obvious to me that we're, if we can bring healthcare to a person's home, 
with home kits and telemedicine and virtual care, or we can engage them in a community setting where it is more convenient in a retail environment for other things. You know, that's what's going to make the big difference in healthcare in the U.S. is actually getting people to engage. And it's, again, it has to come to their doorstep. It has to come to their doorstep. And that's not a convenience factor. It's, you know, engaging people in healthcare to get them moving. Okay. We've set the ground stage here. Excellent. Yes. Engagement, bringing care to the doorstep, um, getting creative. Uh, improvement has to come first before wellness and lifespan is improved. So that's the groundwork. Now, the next question that we talked about for both of these gentlemen. So what? What's innovation to do that? Uh, we've talked about engagement, but let's talk about the momentum of it. Um, before now, we had one of the most interesting sort of events ever in the diagnostic space when it came to convenience and innovation. It obviously kind of went out in the wind and uh, was intangible and unreal. Both of you work with organizations who are making the convenience and the at-home touch and the engagement tangible. So talk more about the innovation of bringing these things to life and what y'all are doing individually to with your organization to accomplish that, Brad. I think that we look at engagement two main ways, and I think we'll get to the other, the secondary or the, the second point in a bit, but um, and weigh them relatively equally in the context of technology engagement. And one is how can we engage patients in, in their healthcare, and the other is how can we engage physicians in the care delivery side. Um, on the patient side, what, what we've observed and learned over the last seven years at 98.6 is that mobile is really an effective means to getting patients to engage when they have a um, a question. Now, one of the principles of, of what we built is we really want you to come in to engage in the virtual clinic uh, when you have a simple question, an acute care medicine need, chronic disease management, coaching, therapy. There's many things that we do uh, within the confines of the virtual clinic. And we want you to think of us first uh, as a member of 98.6 to um, uh, utilize us in those ways. And what, we've, what we know is that um, most patients in the United States or probably the world for that matter, but our observations are only here in the US to date, is that uh, patients typically will engage in anything for the first time when they're ill or when they need something, right? Do they need a test? Do they, are they sick and they need questions or therapy? Do they think they need a doctor? Um, so those are that, that's an, a very opportune moment. Um, and what, what has to happen there is that that patient experience has to be so phenomenal that they will come back the next time with greater rapidity than the first visit. And we look at those kinds of numbers very closely, right? So when you come once to 90.6, how fast do you come a second time? And for what reason? And we want those reasons to be broad. And we consider it's very successful when the patients are engaging multiple times in a year, because we know that if you're engaging with us, that gives our physicians an opportunity to not only engage with you when you have an acute care medicine need, but to engage with you in chronic disease. Talk about preventive care like Jay touched on, right? Hey, have you had your you're 50 years old and you haven't had a colonoscopy, can we help you have a conversation and guide you to um, a, a gastroenterologist to get that taken care of? All those kinds of things. And once you start utilizing service and, and realize that it's making your life easier, um, it just becomes a, a nice uh, circle uh, of trust where patients will come back again and again and again. And so we, we look at that and then obviously the other perspective is what are the things we can do for patients that will increase value We've we started utilizing and having a partnership with Quest 
the first two months that we opened our clinic. And the reason was we wanted to figure out all the reasons we could order labs virtually to facilitate this simplifying the healthcare experience for patients. And we've been doing that since the beginning. Uh, you know, do you need to go into the doctor, a physical brick and mortar cl uh, clinic, if you need your kidney function checked? Uh, that could be ordered online and associated with a virtual visit very easily and, and make that easier for the patient. And Brad, Jay. Yeah, um, um, Brad, I was going to say the other thing about what 98.6 is doing is there are doctors on the staff that are directing the care, but also, you know, I've seen you all use technology, right, to really do the basics for people because some of the basics are very straightforward, right? So, you know, I just put in that plug on the 98.6 side that it's very smart guidelines driven technology. And then the doctor is overseeing that and there is an opportunity for a direct connection to the doctor. Um, but that's a big piece of it because we don't have enough doctors to go around, you know, to do the work live, so to speak, in the full population. So I just thought I'd add that in. Um, I'll go ahead and give my perspective. It's um, I always have to go back to the pandemic here and say in March of 2020, we had the worst health care crisis in the history of the country. And we're telling people, don't go to the physician office and don't go to the health system. And so where do you go? Well, we had people lining up in parking lots, you know, throughout the U.S. swabbing. And that doesn't make any sense. We could do about 400 a day in one of those events, maybe 500 a day. So then in, in May, we developed and launched through a lot of hard work um, and a large clinical study, um, a self-collection PCR for covid and now we could ship it to someone's home. They can swab and ship it back. No one leaves the home. A telemedicine consult can be had to guide the care. And then you're, you're looking at that and saying, well, um, that's an innovation. And why were we not doing that before? And, and how much of the healthcare could be practiced in that way? And wouldn't it be much, much more engaging, right? So our focus sort of coming out of this um, is, you know, I want to be able to provide healthcare in a kind of a, a, a fashion that starts with a home kit self-collection and a 98.6, let's say, with virtual care access to take care of the very basic preventative care needs and make referrals when needed, right? And then there are certain things you can't do from the home today, right? And and, and then we bring people into patient service centers at Quest. We have uh, 2,200 around the country. We've got Walmart uh, JV sites. And in those, we're not going to just be doing lab testing. Um, we, you may not know we're doing retinal exams today in patient service centers. We're doing bone densiometry in patient service centers. So these are the things that are not ready for the home, but don't necessarily require a visit to a health system. And the cost of that service in our setting is going to be much lower, and we're going to control quality. So you can start to see where it's going, which is start with home-based care, uh, move to the community centers, and then come into a health system, um, you know, to have a baby or have your knee replaced. Um, and but but I do want to say Quest and ninety-eight point six. I think we're being very responsible about the issue of making the referrals into bricks and mortar when appropriate and establishing primary care relationships for people along the way 
Um, so that's a really important point. We got to make the connection to the health system through this. My last point is, um, you know, a lot of this is is services innovation or what I call implementation science that says we already know how to treat uh, high cholesterol. We just got to figure out how to get people to do it. And that's implementation science. Um, and we've had a, a lot of success doing that within the uh, employee healthcare environment. Why? Because we run our health plan. It's our money and our people. Um, we're responsible for their health care. We have access to all the data. So in that environment of employee health care, that's kind of been where the learning lab has been around this whole scheme of creating home-based self-collection, virtual care, community-based care. But that approach, I think, is universal. That approach is helpful for a health system, a physician's office, um, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, right? A driving engagement in the community at low cost and, and high quality. Jay, that's great. I, uh, you know, I, uh, I think you guys hit on a lot of important points. Two that I really want to focus on first is consumer medicine. A lot of people actually, and I don't know if it's just doctors or if it's patients as well are, are saying, no, we should never think of it as medicine should never be consumer. But what we're really seeing is that's exactly what the patient wants. And then secondly, like you said, Jay, home medicine, the basics, there is a lot, and, I don't, and I'm not sure if patients really know that, but there's a lot of things that can be done without having to get in your car, drive to your doctor's office, may not even get to see your doctor that day, get something done, and then go back and wait to hear from them. That can all be done from the comfort of your own home. So, you know, my question for you guys is, do you feel that we can really build a healthcare access model system that is truly rapid and as demand uh as on demand as uh, google we've, we've discussed that earlier that people go to google 80 percent go to google right away to type it in can we truly as uh, healthcare providers across the country create that rapid healthcare access model yes i'll start brad yes it may take a long time to get there in in our in our system but the fundamental thing that you said that I want to latch on to is that the word consumer trips us up here, okay? And my, my take on it is all healthcare is consumer-oriented. All healthcare should be consumer-centric because healthcare is about improving the health of an individual, not, Absolutely. About, not about a physician. However, in everything I'm talking about here, um, we have physician ordering and oversight and telecare. So I'll give you an example. Quest um, offers lots of testing on our Quest Direct uh, you know, program, which is consumer driven. And that means the consumer can go on the website, uh, decide what they want. And then we have a physician engaged, placing the orders, making sure they're appropriate, overseeing the care, calling the patient with results or a 98.6 on the back end, giving the person access to a physician to guide them, right? So, so when we, I like the term consumer-centric care. We have to deliver consumer-centric care, but that doesn't mean there's not a doctor overseeing it. It just means that the consumer is empowered to go on their laptop or their iPhone and, you know, and get to the matter at hand quickly. And, uh, you know, that's out there in pieces right now. But, and you're right. There's a hell of a lot you can do at home uh, around healthcare, But it's 
it's it's very hard to navigate that through Google today, right? And so there needs to be 98.6s and other, you know, platforms built that help people engage with it. And then a physician needs to be overseeing that care. Brad, what do you think? Thanks, so. Yeah, no, I agree with everything you've said. You know, at the end of the day, um, we want to understand how to get patients engaged in their health and engaged with uh, the highest quality providers to deliver that care and give them the best outcomes. One of the things we that I think we built at 98.6 as an example, and Jay touched on it, is one of the we have built a large scale technology based patient aggregation platform. And that affords us the opportunity to ask in our minds or ask the patient directly, what is it we can do for this patient in the moment? And those could be many things, as Jay talked about, referring a patient to a, a subspecialty provider, getting them preventive care, a prescription, a lab. Um, but once you open up that kind of perspective with the patient and they start to realize the things you can do for them, that is the starting point towards virtualizing at least aspects of traditional healthcare systems. Uh, I'm not arguing that they could be completely virtualized, but parts of them can be in an efficient fashion, which will improve the quality of care, uh, increase efficiencies and lower costs and improve better outcomes. And that's really what we're hoping, uh, what we do day to day here at 90.6 and what we strive to do more uh, holistically over time. One of the interesting things is technology allows you to um, reduce physician variability and uh, impact a larger cohort of patients with what we described as a standard of care or guidelines. And this isn't really talked about a lot, but I think it's one of the more interesting topics that I think about in my position, because we hire our own doctors. Most of them work for us full time. They're fully committed to utilizing and building technology with the product engineering teams. And that's really important because you need physicians that are engaged in the practice of medicine with the technology you build. You can't have, in my opinion, a 10,000 physicians working two hours a week for you and anticipate that that engagement on the physician side of the quality will be where you want it to be, especially if you want to use technology. So what we, what we do is we use technology to help support physicians practice to the guidelines that are set by um, you know, subspecialty societies is one example, American College of Cardiology, whatever, whatever it may be, American Heart Association. And one of the things I observed early on when I came into this space, looking at data was, you know, taking hypertension as an example, many physicians weren't practicing to the guidelines uh, when we looked at EMR data. And so that data from our perspective was not particularly valuable because when we wanted to build AI care delivery assist systems, we want, we want patients to get care delivered to the guidelines. So um, our focus has been on building technology that supports and physicians practicing to the guidelines that have been outlined by traditional medicine, which I think is a really important point. Brad, that's an improvement in healthcare, you know, versus a degradation. You know, there's this concern that virtual care will lead to, uh, you know, poor quality. But the reality is if you're able to control and ensure that the delivery is on the guidelines, that's something that does not happen uh, in, in many places throughout the current healthcare system. They're, you know, the, the, we're not practicing guidelines supported care. So I really like that aspect of it. And I think there's a misconception that 
virtual care is going to lower the quality when where what you're saying is you're going to make sure that your physicians are always practicing guideline supported care you know that yeah, that's a great point both brad and jay you know i i with we talk about virtual care i think what really gets lowered is not the quality but the overall cost hopefully the outcomes and the engagement are if not uh baseline possibly even better but as you mentioned, kind of, Brad, there does have to be physician buy-in. So can you guys talk just briefly about what does this really do to incentives and the economics of the traditional healthcare delivery system? Ooh, Our approach that's has been... A good one. Go oh, ahead, Brad. Oh, sorry, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> so we built our own medical group, and the reason that we did that from the beginning was I wanted to make sure we could get physician buy-in, as we talked about. But I also wanted physicians not only on the boat, but I wanted them rowing the boat. Sometimes in traditional healthcare and the administrative side, physicians don't have all the opportunity to impact some of the um, administrative outcomes that we're driving towards. So this was an important part of what we built, which is we wanted physicians integrated with product and engineering, talking to them on a daily basis to figure out how we can build you know, care delivery technology. And I think ultimately, uh, once you bring physicians in. We pay them annual salaries. We don't pay them based on relative value units or productivity. We just pay them to be amazing. Uh, and that is the expectation when they come in. We train them up on the technology that requires repeated recurrent retraining because the technology evolves and you have to retrain the physicians. So it requires you to have a learning development staff that can support that physician development. And so that's all integrated into what we've built at 90.6. It sits under me on my team. And I think that allows us to really build trust with patients. When you talk to, we have many health systems that use us as an employer benefit, as an example, and that's a pretty unique situation, right? You're talking about traditional healthcare cohorts, many physicians or other health healthcare providers who have access to using 90.6. So they're gonna have very specific questions on quality outcomes, how it works. And so uh, proud to say that we were able to deliver that care in a, in a method that is very satisfactory to those kinds of organizations. Jake? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is why I'm so into employer healthcare, okay? Because the incentives in managing that 60,000, in, in the Quest case, we have a 60,000 member plan. We spend $400 million a year. The costs are skyrocketing. And by the way, these people who are our family, right, our, our workforce, also are with us on average for 10 years. And so it's our money and it's our people, right? And so um, in that environment, the, the, the goal is the triple aim. We want to um, improve healthcare engagement outcomes and lower costs, and it's very pure, right? So in that environment, I'm gonna, and you know, we are going virtual first, doing everything we can around the home and with 98.6 and others, right, to engage and get the basic work done. And so the incentives are all very pure there. Now, in uh, the uh, health systems, um, I think that's where the rub is right now on this, which is through the pandemic, there definitely was some progress in reimbursing telemedicine um, and, in, and really on reimbursement, right, to, to say that telecare could be reimbursed at certain levels. But there is absolutely still some incentives in the traditional healthcare system to have a person come in, whether or not they actually need to. 
or to have an office visit that can be billed whether or not they need to be there. So there are absolutely still incentives that kind of um, fly in the face of this in the health system level. But if you go, you know, you look up a level, you know, employers are paying for health care across the country and um, health plans are serving those employers. And my, my, my other take on it is, is that this approach ultimately of high quality, low cost consumer centric care is going to win the day because it's what is needed in any healthcare system. And the incentives will change over time, you know, in the traditional healthcare system. So I'm acknowledging that there's a rub still, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, for at, at the macro level, we have to do this to improve healthcare in the U.S. and lower costs. It's the only way. And all groups, you know, the groups that do this well will win. Well, um insightful. Let me just add a follow-on question to both of you. Um, we've got incentives that we could argue are asymmetric. Uh, we've talked about this. This is sort of the um, uh, gorilla in the room when you start speaking with folks about disruption in healthcare and the at-home world and the remote virtual world. The momentum increasing and continuing, who's going to drive that more? The MD who sees, or the clinician who sees their improvement improve, or the consumer who wants the convenience and the safety and the perception of familiarity uh, with everything else they're getting at home, who is going to drive that momentum more? Is it going to be the clinicians that stand up and say, hey, we know the incentives are asymmetric, but look at these outcomes, look at this engagement, or is it going to be the consumer making the demands and showing the markets uh, sort of pulling themselves along because they, they want it? What do y'all think? Uh, the, oh, go ahead, Jay. Yeah, the consumer has already spoken through the pandemic, right? I think that the, there was an absolutely clear consumer demand for you know home-based uh, telecare from the safety of their homes during the pandemic relating to COVID and relating to other things. And that spurred a lot of innovation and movement on the health system side and on the employer side, right? And that, that kind of catalyzed things. And I do think consumers are, are insisting on this. And another way to look at it is maybe they're not insisting, but a lot of the consumers are not going to engage in healthcare unless it is delivered this way, right? So I, I think the consumer in, in, is a huge driver. And, and Brad said earlier, um, and consumers now expect a DoorDash at every part of their life, right? In every sector of their life, that convenience of, I got to be able to do this from my home on my computer. Uh, and so that's become an expectation for all things. And healthcare is lagging in that, but it'll come. It'll come. So I'm very focused on that. But I, and then I think, you know, the, an individual physician groups can be progressive. But on that side of things, it's got to be the health systems and health plans and employers insisting on this approach and driving this approach. And I think physicians will love it when it happens. You know, they, 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 they'll see that it's driving quality and engagement, but it, it needs to be those kind of uh, um, owners of healthcare systems and programs that, that make this move. Brad. Yeah, I think, I think most physicians in this space realize we have to move to more of a value-based care approach. This, this will impact the, the, the consumer or the patient experience. The, 
to ultimately be the driver. Um, I think that partnership um, is growing. And I think that this notion of transitioning to value-based care is going to be really exciting in the next decade. You know, no longer is it just a traditional conversation with ACOs, MCOs, or health systems, but, you know, large employers are starting to talk about moving to value-based contracts uh, with, um, you know, people who are assisting in care delivery for their self-insured employer contracts. And this, this allows you to get really creative. Uh, and we obviously seen a bunch of growth in this space with um, the city blocks, et cetera, of the world, um, which is really great to see, which means there's innovation driving better uh, patient engagement, uh, better patient outcomes. And when you talk about value-based care, when you're taking out a fee-for-service model, it allows you to uh, direct the focus to uh, outcomes. And of course, if you're driving good outcomes, patient experience and patient engagement are paramount because you're not gonna be able to drive those outcomes without patient participation, right? And so it, it links it together in a way which I think is exciting um, and I think technology will be the bond that pulls all that together to really help us make significant progress on value-based care delivery over the next five to 10 years. Hey, Brad, uh, isn't it ironic, though, that we even debate whether value-based care is important to pursue? You know what I mean? Like, I, I understand value-based contracting is a certain thing, but I kind of chuckle about it. It's like, we're, we're debating whether it's a good thing to drive healthcare toward the triple aim of improving outcomes, lowering costs and improving engagement. Like, is that even in a, a debate, you know, and it's not, <laughs> I mean, that's the goal of healthcare. Right. Yeah. And so I, I, I sort of, you know, I see all these debates about it, but sometimes I sort of like to step back and, and call people out and say, well, well, what are you saying? We don't want to drive the triple aim, you know, right. It's a little ironic. So, so true. Yeah. And I think there's another point, right, which is it's, it's value for some or value for all. And it sort of touches into this notion of can we drive health equity? The, the pandemic has shown lots of health inequity, shine a, shine a bright light on that in our own health system, healthcare yeah. system in the U.S. And I think value-based care and, and, and the use of technology to democratize access to healthcare is going to be critical for us to address that. We, I mean... We need, to, we need to broaden the uh, accessibility of healthcare to the population in the United States. And I think technology and this notion around value-based evolution will be critical for that. Absolutely. Gentlemen, we're coming up to the top of the hour and there's a question that I always ask our guests. Obviously this is on audio um, and, and it can be you know listened to possibly forever in some cases. If there was one sort of soundbite based on all we talked about with engagement, improvement, at-home access, uh, value-based care as the goal and chief aim of healthcare, not a debate. What would you want people to hear from your soundbite based on your take on diagnostics, the future, um, and the healthcare industry overall as it pertains to your expertise? Jay, we'll start with you and Brad will finish with you. Um, great, I will go back to that all healthcare is consumer centric because all healthcare is about improving the health and outcomes of individual people, right? And so, you know, the, this that's basically it. All healthcare is consumer centric and should be. And it's all about the consumer, it's not about the health system. And therefore, we're going to deliver highly consumer centric care that engages people, you know, in their own health.
I'd, I'd say, and this may not be surprising based on the work I do, that I think technology is our best hope to drive higher quality, lower cost outcomes to the largest, broadest population to address health inequities that exist in our current healthcare system. And so that for me is really the focus. Gentlemen, well said. We appreciate you spending time with us today. This has been the Digital Healthcare Roundtable. I'm your host, Matt Sabolsky, co-hosted by Dr. Reed McClellan. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Brad. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Take care. This has been Matt Sabolsky with the Digital Health Roundtable. Join us next time for another excellent episode. See you then.